SCP-783 There Was a Crooked Man The title of this article comes from a relatively well-known nursery rhyme in England, first recorded in 1842. The article itself features a bit of a different poem, but the origin of the rhyme is still unknown, with there being various theories as to the source. One legend says that it was inspired by a small village, 70 miles from London, that features a number of houses leaning against one another at crooked angles. Other sources state that the poem originates from the reign of King Charles I of England, with the crooked man being the Scottish general Sir Alexander Leslie, who signed a covenant securing religious and political freedom for Scotland. The crooked style in the poem is the alliance between the parliaments of England and Scotland, or the border between the two, and the crooked house refers to the fact that the English and the Scots had come to an agreement despite the animosity between them. I have no idea why I told you this, as this SCP has absolutely nothing to do with that rhyme or those theories, so let's just begin. SCP-783 is a hostile entity currently preying upon the residents of a rural hamlet in Oxfordshire, England named Temby. It preys on the residents over a period of roughly 70 days across the fall and winter months every 12 years, and exclusively attacks those who are alone and indoors after sunset. The building where 783's current target is located will begin to experience a steady degradation of structural integrity, with visible faults and breaks on the outer facade lending the structure an angled or crooked appearance. This phenomenon also extends to any objects which breach the affected building's exterior, causing immediate and severe deformation that is invariably fatal to living subjects. So far, Foundation personnel have yet to prevent an attack or been able to provide any means of assistance to 783's targets. Additionally, due to this and 783's effects on recording equipment, little is known about its exact appearance or the nature of its anomalous attributes. Victims of 783 exhibit gross deformations in their body structure as the result of dozens of compound fractures along their long bones and severely displaced vertebra. These injuries are healed via the rapid generation of excessive cartilage and osseous tissue, with victims displaying hyperelasticity of their epidermis and musculature to accommodate the extra tissue, with one subject's forearm extending over 2.4 meters and another having a recorded height of 12.5 meters, or over 40 feet. The end result of this malformation and elongation are subjects who visually present as being wholly serrated or gnarled. Despite the nature of these injuries, however, most victims are alive after being attacked, though they often suffer from full body paralysis or remain in a persistent vegetative state. 27 affected individuals have been acquired by the Foundation and placed on life support so far. The residents of the hamlet are aware of 783, though speaking of it publicly is considered to be taboo. Among the local youths, researchers have documented a playground song regarding 783, which goes, There lived a crooked man, who made a crooked deal. He kept a crooked cane, and his catch in crooked creel. He stole a crooked child, who cried a crooked squeal and that crooked little man was broken on the wheel. A month prior to 783's current period of activity, a D-Class was selected from a group of volunteers to live in a Foundation-owned property in the hamlet, with recording equipment installed throughout the house. On the 43rd day of his stay, an incident occurred, starting with him lying in bed while reading a novel. The live feed in the living room then experiences a jagged, vertical distortion, which slowly moves across the frame from the left side to right. A similar distortion then appears in the hallway camera, obscuring the floodlights from the window opposing the camera. 
the D-Class, on the second floor, suddenly gets up and claims to hear a slow, prolonged scratching sound coming from the first floor. The feed from the staircase becomes wavy and distorted, with movement visible, and in the second floor bedroom, slow, deliberate footsteps can be heard ascending the stairs. The D-Class attempts to open the window and escape, but fails to open it. He then grabs a small lamp and makes several attempts to smash the window as the camera from the second floor hallway experiences visual corruption. The disruption moves through the frame until it stops immediately outside the bedroom, and the D-Class freezes as he hears a knock at his bedroom door. He approaches the door, holding the lamp like a weapon, and asks for the individual to identify themselves. There's no response and he asks Control if any personnel were able to gain entry, but also receives no response, as observing personnel maintain radio silence. The D-Class then braces himself, and throws the door open. A loud, snapping noise is then heard throughout the house, as all of the light bulbs on the premises burst simultaneously. After the camera in the second floor bathroom adjusts to the low light conditions, it shows 783 coming into view, standing motionless in the doorway. The camera in the bedroom shows the D-Class screaming and clutching his broken right arm. The arm is seen dangling freely before swiftly hardening, presumably due to rapid bone growth. The D-Class shouts his intent to escape with his life and runs from the room, but another loud snapping noise is heard. He falls to the ground, screaming for assistance, and exclaims that his leg is broken. After a few minutes, he manages to stand, showing his arm to the camera, with it now being angled in the opposite direction from the previous fracture. He curses the observing personnel, but reports that the pain has mostly subsided as he limps towards the stairs. Unfortunately, he trips and falls down the stairs, with twelve loud snaps heard in rapid succession. Upon coming to a stop, the D-Class is seen with several more fractures in various places along each limb, and he screams as they rapidly set. After nearly thirty minutes, he begins to struggle to crawl forwards, straining with the size of his limbs. Each arm is estimated to be over two meters in length, with several inflexible breaks that inhibit motion around obstacles. He manages to make it to the front door, with his elongated body occupying the majority of the living room and his lower legs stretching out of frame, but the length of his fingers make it difficult to work the doorknob. A scratching sound is heard in the hallway, and the D-Class expresses distress before being dragged forcibly off camera. Both the D-Class and 783 remain in the hallway for the duration of the night with snapping sounds heard intermittently. The D-Class ceases screaming a few hours later, and some time later, a wet, suckling noise is heard, followed by rapid thumping. At the same time as those noises, all 27 living victims of 783 and Foundation Care went into seizures, convulsing for several minutes despite the fact that the majority of them were brain-dead or wholly paralyzed. Two present researchers were injured during the incident, and life support systems for several of them were compromised, killing five. A vast quantity of earth was also disturbed on the outskirts of town during this time. Later, personnel tasked with investigating this seismic event were met with resistance from the locals, who crowded around an area in a field to the south of the town. After a brief exchange, an agent fired a round from her firearm into the air, dispersing the crowd. Several elongated toes were visible protruding from the freshly exposed earth, leading to a dig team being assembled. By the following afternoon, they had unearthed a mass grave, approximately five meters across, containing several dozen nude victims of 783. The bodies were well preserved, yet drained of moisture, and their number was unable to be immediately ascertained due to them being piled atop one another. They were all oriented head down, 
with their arms extending deeper into the pit, and most of their limbs had become intertwined or knotted around each other, preventing exhumation without the use of sawing instruments. A researcher decided to extract a tissue sample, but during the process, the soil beneath him caved in and he tumbled into the pit. The bodies shifted due to his weight, and as he struggled to gain footing, the tangle of limbs gave way and he fell out of sight. Agent Collins promptly commandeered a length of rope, tying it around her waist, and tasked several nearby personnel with reeling her in upon her signal. She then entered the pit, and approximately 20 meters worth of rope was drawn beneath the corpses as she descended. The line then became taut after several minutes, and she signaled for extraction. She was recovered safely, and testified to the existence of an anomalous locale, the entrance of which is located beneath the victim's corpses. Agent Collins was then granted a temporary leave of absence, with it being implied that she suffered under the effects of 783 while down there. So, since they have some weird, unknown subterranean lair of a mysterious creature that breaks bones as a hobby, it's time to send in a D-Class to check it out. The D-Class is outfitted with protective gear, a retractable harness, recording equipment, testing apparatuses, and a basic survival kit which includes a pistol. Curiously, the start of the expedition was delayed slightly due to the D-Class not being able to fit into the protective gear, despite it being of the proper size for their frame. Once commenced, however, the D-Class is lowered into the pit via a crane, and they are soon enveloped by the mass of corpses. Command stops the descent when the D-Class begins to thrash about, but they just tell Command to continue and go faster, as they claim that a hand caressed their back. 18 meters down, they report feeling a sense of vertigo, expressing confusion regarding the direction of travel. After a brief discussion with Command, however, it's determined that they had actually experienced an inversion of gravity. They managed to reorient themselves, now climbing upwards in order to continue further into the area. Ambient light levels begin to increase, and daylight can be seen shortly after. The sky is overcast as the D-Class breaches the surface, but the surrounding area is partially obscured due to countless elongated arms extending upwards from the mass of corpses. The D-Class uses some of the arms as leverage to climb out of the hole, pulling themselves towards solid ground. The surrounding area is shown to perfectly resemble the Hamlet as it exists in baseline reality, with the D-Class standing in a field on the outskirts of town. To the north is a small stone cottage, and beyond that the main road into town, with sparsely wooded areas and fields in every other direction. Thermal and atmospheric readings also match those in baseline reality, and the D-Class disengages their harness to take a soil sample. While testing the sample, a researcher watching the feed notices dozens of marks in the ground surrounding the mass grave here, suggesting that they had been created by fingers being drawn through the ground. The D-Class is not informed of this, and they report that no contaminants have been detected in the soil, so they're instructed to head to the cottage. They proceed to knock on the door, and after receiving no answer, enter inside. It appears to be uninhabited, and they soon find a rough sketch done in charcoal above the bed, depicting the upper body of a reclined humanoid figure holding a rod or staff. Its free hand is outstretched above the headrest. The D-Class is instructed to approach and inspect the drawing, but they're hesitant, stating that they feel a great sense of unease while in the drawing's presence. They do advance slowly though, but with each step, the quality of the video feed degrades, and by the time the drawing is within arm's reach, the feed is obscured by heavy amounts of static, and the audio is drowned out by a shrill whistling noise. Before the D-Class can touch the drawing, Command orders them to withdraw, 
which they quickly do, causing the interference on the feed to return to normal. The D-Class leaves the cottage and walks in silence for a few minutes towards the town, finding a single boot in the road on the way. It's clear from examining it that it belongs to the missing researcher that was pulled through, and the D-Class figures that they were heading towards a nearby home, a two-story house with a noticeably dead tree in the front lawn. The ground around the tree is littered with broken limbs, and the front door of the house is wide open. The D-Class begins to move towards the house, as the director overseeing the excursion requests to be relieved of duty, citing the onset of a debilitating migraine. The D-Class enters the house, finding signs of struggle across the living room, with the couch and an end table being overturned, along with a hole in the wall. They move through into the kitchen, finding it to be in a similar state of disarray, with dishes, food, and appliances littering the floor. Most of the items show damage, suggesting that they've been struck or thrown with considerable force. As they move towards the sink, they find a small pool of blood on the floor, along with a pattern of spatter on the walls and counter, suggesting that an assailant delivered several successive blows with a bladed weapon. The D-Class kneels to take a sample of the blood, and also notes that a meat cleaver seems to be missing from a nearby butcher's block. A series of blood stains leads towards a door on the far end of the room, covered in marks and scratches, and is determined to be locked from the other side. The D-Class attempts to kick the door in, but only manages to splinter some of the wood after a few attempts. They walk back towards the other side of the kitchen, and charge at the door, breaking through. They then barely manage to avoid falling down the stairs on the other side of the door, and are chided for their reckless behavior. Command tells them to go down the stairs, but after the light switch fails to turn on a light, they begin to debate the merits of investigating the basement, placing a heavy emphasis on the value of their own life. In the end, they are persuaded to continue investigating on threat of being left there. They activate their headlamp and draw their firearm, descending the stairs in a ready stance. The basement turns out to be largely empty, but something on the ground in a corner of the room glints in the light of the headlamp. The D-Class approaches, finding it to be the missing meat cleaver, wet with blood. After inspecting it, they also notice a hole in the concrete wall, an exhaust vent leading above ground. A piece of fabric is hanging from inside it, and upon closer inspection, it's revealed to be a pant leg. The D-Class pulls at it, finding it to be a tattered pair of tan slacks, worn by the researcher. A rustling sound is then heard from within the vent, and the D-Class leans in closer to see. Something fleshy is then seen quickly moving up a bend in the pipe and out of sight, at which point the D-Class promptly withdraws from the home. Due to these discoveries, the researcher is presumed dead, so the D-Class is instructed to travel out of town to further document the nature of the area itself and determine its boundaries, if any. Little of note happens for the next 40 minutes as they travel, eventually passing through a densely wooded grove of silver birches. This geography remains consistent with baseline reality for another two kilometers, at which point the forest gives way to fields. Soon they find a small cottage, revealing that they had somehow emerged back onto the other side of town, except that they cannot see the limbs of the victims sticking out of the body pit. Approaching closer, they find a large, circular area of overturned soil instead of the pit, and a distinct lack of corpses. There's also no signs of the D-Class's presence from before, such as the harness and relay device, causing them to panic. Command instructs them to hold their position while they decide upon a course of action. They confirm that the harness's tether hasn't moved at all since the D-Class removed the harness, 
and determine that they have possibly entered into an iterative spatial zone adjacent from the original area. It's also decided that exploration beyond this point would best be handled by personnel experienced with excursions of this nature, so the D-Class is instructed to follow the road back towards the entry point. As they are traveling back and idly conversing with command, they remark on the absence of any form of life. As they do so, a rustle of leaves can be heard, and the D-Class turns, finding the naked body of an elongated SCP-783 victim sprawled across the road. The D-Class swears loudly and continues, soon finding another victim stretched along the road. They withdraw their firearm and take a step towards it, when a rustling and snapping sound is heard behind them. They turn, finding that the victim there hasn't moved, but their body and arms have clearly grown and elongated, twisting and breaking, placing them closer to the D-Class's position. More snapping can be heard once again from behind them, and the D-Class quickly turns and fires their gun. The neck of the victim there had elongated and bent in a way that placed their head roughly a meter away from the D-Class, at eye level. Though several rounds are discharged into its face, it elicits no reaction, and more snapping noises can be heard from the other victim. The D-Class quickly flees at this point into the woods, running for several minutes and ignoring command's advice to keep the road within view. They eventually stop to catch their breath, coming to rest on a large rock, with no sign of pursuit from the victims. The D-Class reloads their firearm and consumes an MRE, consulting with command about their relative position. Eventually they set off again, and the track is largely uneventful over the next 14 minutes, before the D-Class suddenly stops. They claim to feel minute vibrations in the ground, coming in short, punctuated bursts, and despite being assured that this is likely due to the unstable region of space-time they're in, they insist on remaining still and listening. They inform command of a muted thumping noise along with the vibrations, but these are not picked up by the audio device. They begin to advance carefully, and off in the far distance, a single silver birch tree is lifted vertically out of sight above the tree line, although they don't seem to have noticed it. As Command attempts to inform them of this, the tree comes back down through the treetops, much closer to the D-Class, impacting and shaking the ground. Despite the thickness and mottled white coloration, however, it is not, in fact, a birch tree, and it bears no branches. As the D-Class is instructed to approach it, another similar object lands directly next to them, knocking them to the ground. The D-Class stands and inspects the second object, seeing a faint impression of ridges and grooves running along it, as well as a flat nail plate. They fire their gun at the object, drawing blood, and a deep, protracted scream emanates from above, causing the D-Class to flee. They run through the forest, swearing incessantly and begging for assistance as more objects crash around them, seemingly trying to hit them directly. They make it out of the forest and continue towards the town, but they are soon knocked onto their back by another object colliding with them. Out in the open air, the camera feed can now see the entire length of the object, which extends several hundred meters in the air. The D-Class screams as they see what's at the peak, the nude form of the missing researcher, suspended on elongated and grossly enlarged fingers. One of the researchers overseeing the excursion stands and vomits, taking medical leave, as the elongated researcher screams and begins to try and move its massive fingers to grab the D-Class. They try to fire upon the researcher, but fail to hit it, instead proceeding to run through town while being pursued. The creature's fingers plow through various homes and obstructions as it chases the D-Class, who narrowly manages to avoid being struck. Running out of stamina, 
They begin to slow as the initial cottage comes into view, along with the body pit. Command encourages them on, assuring them that they're standing by to reel them back in through the pit, but the researcher creature screeches and the D-class is suddenly knocked aside. The visual feed is lost, and the D-class can be heard screaming and cussing, with the audio level suggesting that they are getting farther and farther away from their audio device. The thumping of the creature's fingers can be heard becoming more and more distant as well, and silence is recorded for the final half hour. Afterwards, the D-class is declared to be lost, and it's decided that their harness should be recalled for future use. Agent Collins, however, cites an ethics committee mandate on the exploration of non-incursive, extra-dimensional locales, persuading them to leave the harness there in case the D-class makes it back. Several personnel remain on hand over the next several hours, until there's a report that the tether moved. After a moment of stillness, the line becomes taut before being tugged on twice, the signal for extraction. The tether is pulled through, and after a minute, the empty body harness breaks the surface, with it appearing that none of its straps had been properly secured. It's pulled through, showing the D-Class's hand grasping onto it, which slips off as they attempt to grab hold of something to avoid slipping back into the pit. Another D-Class rushes forward to grab the hand, but they also start to get pulled in, until three others come in to assist, eventually pulling out the D-Class that rushed to help. As they continue to pull, it becomes clear that the original D-Class's forearm is grossly extended, and it begins to bend and snap at several points. The assisting D-Class lets go, and the original is pulled back into the pit. Since the D-Class's excursion showed that the anomaly wasn't immediately dangerous, and that the area is likely recursive, meaning that it's surrounded by copies of itself, it's decided that a special operative should be sent in. Special Operative Nix is chosen due to her expertise in such matters, having personally mapped 27 iterations of another SCP, as well as other accomplishments. After a full debriefing and several viewings of the D-Class's exploration log, she spends her first week personally inspecting the town limits of the hamlet in baseline reality, denoting points of interest along the wooded outskirts. She then requisitions materials from HQ, and makes her final preparations to head into the anomaly. She requisitions 1,000 referencing exit markers used in cave diving, a prismatic compass and map of the town, rations for a three-day excursion, a wireless camera, a shotgun and bandolier, and a machete. Additionally, she's bringing along a K-9 unit a two-year-old Dutch Shepherd named Tafos. I already know what you might be thinking, so if you're sensitive to that sort of thing, you may want to skip this final log. Agent Collins is chosen to oversee the excursion due to the sicknesses which affected her colleagues during the previous expedition. Nix spends an hour practicing quick-load maneuvers for her firearm, before being outfitted in full tactical protective gear. Both her and Tafos are lowered into the mass grave, and they emerge on the other side, where she promptly repairs the relay device there to activate the camera feed. There's a light early morning fog permeating the air, and there's no sign of the D-Class in the immediate area. As Tafos comes out of the tangle of corpses in the pit, he passes beneath a low-hanging limb, which breaks with an audible crack, and stops just short of touching him before it's swiftly severed by Nix's machete. As they leave, intermittent cracks can be heard from the severed appendage as it continues to convulse and fracture. The first 15 minutes of their travel consists of heading in a southeasterly direction, gradually identifying memorized aspects of the environment. Due to the lack of life forms, the only sounds are crunching leaves as they progress. Once a felled tree is spotted, Nix identifies a point which should be in the northwestern area of the town, 
so she hangs a referencing exit marker on a nearby branch and begins walking off the path into the woods to further delineate the area in which the replicate town ends. She methodically begins canvassing the woods and cross-referencing her map, placing more REMs, as Tafos follows alongside her and occasionally sniffs the area. Forty-five minutes pass uneventfully, until Tafos pauses, alert and focused on an area ahead of them. Nyx readies her shotgun, and the two proceed with caution. Up ahead, a long, gnarled white shape can be seen snaking through the undergrowth and between trees, partially obscured beneath scattered leaves and detritus. Tafos approaches the object before halting at Nyx's command, and mottled white flesh can be made out on the object, as well as varicose veins running along its length. The appendage trails far off into the distance, while the other end terminates nearby in an average-sized foot. Command tells Nyx to investigate the foot, which can be seen sporting a colorful tattoo encircling the shin. Closer inspection reveals it to be a tattoo of an Ouroboros, confirming the cadaver's identity to be that of the missing D-Class. An alarm then goes off back at command, as one of the doctors that was previously involved in the operation has escaped their quarters with the assistance of a D-Class. A search unit is deployed, and the residents of the town are notified of the fugitives. Nix, receiving no guidance from command about a course of action, states that she's going to follow the limb through the woods and into the next iteration of the area. The two begin walking, until three quick bone-splintering cracks are heard behind them. Nyx quickly turns, seeing that the D-Class's ankle has snapped and twisted so that its foot is raised off the ground and coiled, with toes pointing in her direction. Tafos begins growling as Nyx slowly backs away, and the two eventually turn and continue on as no more movement is seen. The two follow the leg for approximately 1.5 kilometers, where it then zigzags up a nearby incline, crossing perpendicular to a dirt path that ascends a rocky hill. Nyx checks her map, identifying this as Shallows Peak, the town's highest point of elevation which lies north of town. She attempts to radio command, but gets no response, and reports that she's going to ascend the hill in order to canvas the area. The ascent takes roughly 20 minutes, during which time the fugitive doctor is recovered by a constable after trying to enlist the help of local police. The D-Class was shot and killed during the confrontation that led to the doctor's capture, with their remains being returned to base. While climbing the hill, the dirt path can be seen leading alongside a rocky wall before ending at the mouth of a small cave. Nyx notes that this cave does not exist in baseline reality, and as she approaches, the visual feed degrades slightly as Tafos whines quietly. In between static interference, the cave is seen to possess signs of habitation, with the walls on the right having been carved to create small shelves, speckled with indiscernible filth. An ancient cast-iron-lidded pot sits in the center of the room, atop a mound of partially burnt, petrified wood encircled by rocks. On the left, discoloration in a small area of the cave's rear suggests the former existence of bedding in that corner, long since rotted away. Nyx takes two steps in before stopping short, looking back to Tafos, who remains outside the entrance, with his tail tucked between his legs. Nyx heads back and coddles him, telling him to stay there, as she moves back in to check the shelves. Small bits of wicker, possibly some form of ornamentation, crumble upon being touched. Advancing to the pot, a carving can be seen on its side, likely a representation of a breaking wheel, a medieval torture device involving an individual being strapped to a wheel while their limbs are broken repeatedly. As she removes the lid to the pot, she gags. 
it's filled with a murky brown pool of stagnant water within which floats several objects. She turns on her headlamp and gasps at the sight of over a dozen small bones, with it estimated that they belong to an individual no more than two months old. The display is further plagued by static as Nyx replaces the lid and sets the pot down carefully. She then pauses momentarily, partly stands and staggers, before proceeding to fall to her knees and vomit profusely. She curses quietly and sniffles, obscuring the camera as she wipes her face. She then looks up and sees a small nook in the cave wall beside where the bed previously lay, with something small and brown inside of it. Static builds as she moves to investigate, kneeling and pulling out the object. The visual field is overcome by white noise, though Nyx can still be heard, reporting that she's found some form of diary. Flipping through the first few weathered pages reveals little of import, as any content that may have once been present has long since faded. She continues to scan the diary until a hollow popping noise rings out. Turning quickly, no immediate threat or change in surroundings is seen. Tafos begins approaching cautiously, and another sharp, wet pop is heard. He growls as Nyx glances around for the noise's source, and the sound is heard a third time. The lid of the cast iron pot vibrates as it is struck from within, causing Nyx to flee from the cave. Back at command, the D-Class's remains are being tended to, while Agent Collins gets back on the headset to speak with Nyx, who has now reached the top of Shallow's Peak. She relays the events of the previous hour, and can now clearly see both the area she arrived in, as well as its duplicate to the west. In a panoramic shot, a dozen windmills of further replicates can be viewed far off in the distance. She explains that although the pattern of the surrounding area supports the recursive iteration theory of this dimension, there are noted inconsistencies within the area. Other than the cave, which did not exist in baseline or the initial replicate, there's also a small grove of dead trees nearby, along with an unidentifiable structure in the nearby town center. Command asks why there would be deviations in the pattern, to which Nyx suggests that the presence of the elongated D-class spreading across two iterations may be causing fluctuations, comparing it to cellular lysis. Foreign material could weaken the border between spatial zones if held there for an extended period of time. Despite the instabilities, however, she posits that the deformations in this zone may be reflections of the historical state of the town, presenting a valuable research opportunity. She begins down the hill, as small cracks and pops can be heard still reverberating within the cave as she passes, although she does not look inside. At the bottom of the hill, a path of dead grass and foliage can be seen where previously the D-Class's leg was. Tafo sniffs around the area, and begins following the trail towards the next iteration of the town. The two travel at a steady pace, with Nyx regularly checking behind them as they progress, and the forest slightly darkens as cloud cover obscures the sun. A sharp sound of bone snapping echoes in the distance, followed by a series of bone-splintering sounds from an indiscernible source. Nyx attempts to follow the noise when the D-Class's foot emerges from the canopy, quickly twisting and breaking to turn to face Nyx. She responds by shooting it three times rapidly with her shotgun, shredding it and causing it to hang loosely from the limb. It sways back and forth from the force of the shots, and Tafo snarls and barks at it as the two carefully move around it. As they pass it, however, the appendage swiftly plunges to the ground, and Nyx breaks into a run as the coiled mass of limb begins to shift. The two rush through the forest, with Tafos in the lead, leaping and dodging over obstacles. 
Behind them, a furor of rustling and banging can be heard as the leg bursts through foliage and violently rebounds off trees. Nyx proceeds to take some sharp turns through the forest in an attempt to tangle up the leg between the trees, but she becomes separated from Tafos in the process. There is a crash as the appendage ricochets off of a nearby tree to her right, with the remains of the foot shooting across her path, cutting her off. Nyx slides underneath it, firing into the flesh with her shotgun as she does so, and continues running. The camera feed soon shakes, however, as she is struck from behind and falls to the ground. Her shotgun is knocked aside, and as she crawls towards it, there's a quick flash of mottled flesh on the camera, and the limb begins to wrap around her. Her arms are now pinned to her sides, and she's pulled into the leg's many folds before it begins to tighten, causing her to scream. The remains of the foot then come into view, hovering in front of Nyx's face. There's a pair of cracks as the remaining pinky and big toes splinter and fracture, forming two sharp prongs. The foot rears back momentarily before launching forward. Just as it's about to strike Nyx, there's a flurry of motion as Tafos leaps from off-camera and catches the foot in his mouth. The limb writhes as the animal wrestles with the appendage, until it eventually loosens and drops Nyx. It twists and curls as Tafos tears into it with his teeth, and Nyx manages to make it to her shotgun. As she turns, however, the limb wraps around Tafos and quickly retreats, pulling the dog further into the woods. Agent Collins informs Nyx that she needs to progress towards the next town. She is advised not to follow the limb, and to consider the animal a lost asset. Logic has no place in these types of situations, however, and Nyx charges after the fleeing leg. The knot of flesh wrapped around Tafos shreds a path through the forest, knocking down some of the smaller trees, and it begins to pull itself upward out of the forest. As it does so, however, the mass becomes caught between a pair of trees, and Tafos whimpers as the flesh constricts to try and squeeze through. Nyx catches up, lunging forward with her machete, and there's a high-pitched shriek in the distance as she strikes the mass again and again. She bellows a long scream herself as she viciously assaults the leg, cutting through the flesh and revealing bones. She continues to hack and chop and shout as the dog whines and attempts to free itself. The leg then stops trying to pull through, and instead raises sharply upward, knocking Nyx away. Tafos's cries can be heard above her before trailing off into the far distance. Nyx proceeds to scream in anger, shouting threats into the wilderness, and it takes several minutes for her to calm down. She radios command, asking for help to hunt the leg, but she's denied. She's instructed to either investigate the town in her cell, or abort the mission, so she continues on. Soon she makes it to the farmland encircling the town, finding it to be barren here, without a single piece of vegetation sprouting from the dirt. She enters the town itself quietly moving through the streets, and finds a general store with several SCP-783 victims pressed up against the plate glass window. Another victim is on the second story of the hardware store, and three more are peering out from within a car that's crashed into a lamppost. Another is visible beneath the grate of a storm drain, its face contorted and pressed up against the bars with enough force that bits of fat press up upwards through them. None of the victims moved to attack her, however. A sudden cacophony of splintering wood and breaking glass interrupts the silence, and Nyx turns to see that the buildings flanking the end of the street have taken a broken, crooked appearance. Their foundations crumble, and before Nyx can react, the pair of buildings collapse inwards, blocking the road she'd entered from. Whether due to the sudden noise, or the possible presence of 783 itself, the corpses around Nyx begin to shudder violently. 
The trio in the car can be seen thrashing about wildly, their bones breaking and snapping and rapidly healing and stretching. Within seconds, the entirety of the sedan is full of flesh knotted together and writhing as the windshield cracks from the pressure. Back in baseline reality, it's noted that the D-Class who was killed during their escape has now entered the control room. Nyx continues towards the town center, finding a major deviation from baseline reality. In the center of the intersection, in front of the town hall, stands a sizable wooden platform, supported on a large, sturdy base. Erected in the middle of the platform is a large, rounded contraption with an unidentifiable mound upon it. Nyx approaches, ascending the stairs, finding the contraption to be a wheel with several spokes radiating from its center. The mound is a nude and disheveled human strapped to the device, face down. In each area where their limbs cross an empty space between the wheel's spokes, the appendage is gnarled and broken, with their left legs swollen and grossly extended, trailing off the side of the platform. Looking to her right, she sees a singular piece of parchment nailed to a post atop the stairs. The document is a sensationalized proclamation of guilt, identifying an individual by the name of Hinger Wunebald, guilty of theft, child murder, rape, witchcraft, and cannibalism. It finally goes on to state that, for his punishment, he is to be broken on the wheel. Nix confirms with command that they received a clear capture of the paper before casting it aside. She takes a moment to re-rack her shotgun with slug ammunition before moving towards the wheel. Prodding the corpse with the barrel of her gun elicits no response, and she moves around to look at its face. Kneeling down, she sees that it's the missing D-Class, although their face is bloated and their features are twisted in agony. Upon verifying their identity, Nyx follows the length of the leg with her camera, seeing it lead off behind a nearby building. She states her intention to follow it to Tafos, but she's interrupted by a low moan, and she turns back to the corpse. As she turns, the eyes of the D-Class focus on her, and she reels back and fires, destroying the upper part of the D-Class's head. The body gurgles and seethes as she continues to fire two more rounds down its trunk, causing it to spray a torrent of blood from the remains of its mouth. Nyx recoils as she's coated in the blood, stumbling back, and there's a sickening crack as the lower jaw of the D-Class contorts and lengthens. The jawline lashes out at her as she attempts a quick load of her shotgun, spraying more blood and obscuring the camera. Nyx is heard hurriedly descending the staircase, and the camera continues to be obscured as she's heard evading and combating the ever-breaking jaw of the D-Class. She's heard shouting and crying, bone is heard breaking and splintering, and the sound of her fending off the attack with her machete. A lone shotgun blast then rings out, and the weapon can be heard clattering to the ground before everything falls silent. Nyx proceeds to clear the camera to the best of her ability, showing the jaw stretching from the D-Class's corpse and crisscrossing throughout the intersection. Blood blankets the majority of the area, and several teeth are visible. Nyx is panting and heaving, and she shows that she lost the index finger on her right hand as she tries to stem its bleeding. She begins to look for her lost finger, soon finding it, but as she moves towards it, it begins to wriggle on the ground, snapping and beginning to elongate. Nyx turns to flee, grabbing her shotgun as she does so. Command prods her towards returning to the platform to look for more evidence, but she instead rushes along the length of leg trailing from the corpse. She swears at Agent Collins and casts her helmet aside. Nyx is seen running down a length of road alongside the leg, following it around the corner. Several minutes pass uneventfully, until the leg shifts and gyrates, 
slapping the ground with excessive force for approximately 30 seconds before becoming still. A minute later, the camera's lens spontaneously cracks. There's heavy breathing, and someone is sobbing. The area darkens as it is cast in shadow, and the feed terminates as the camera is destroyed. In the aftermath, Nyx is deemed AWOL, and it's determined that a fully armed force would be required for the capture or elimination of SCP-783. The third and final field log for SCP-783 consists of a full MTF being deployed to do just that, but so far that data has been expunged. Hopefully we get to read that at some point in the future. So far, however, we're left with far more questions than answers about 783 and the area it occupies. Curiously, it doesn't seem like 783 itself ever makes an appearance in the alternate dimension, but its effects are certainly present there. There's definitely more going on here than just some monster that breaks into people's homes in a small village in England and breaks their bones for fun. There's definitely something affecting the document itself and various individuals that aren't explicit victims of the attacks. When the first D-Class is attacked in the house by 783, their D-Class number in the document becomes crooked, with one digit lower than the others. This same effect applied to Agent Collins after she briefly visited the other dimension, despite nothing else really happening to her. Also, this effect applied to the D-Class's number who was killed by the local police, not to mention the fact that they somehow entered the command room afterwards and nothing else was mentioned about it. There are some hints here about a situation somewhat akin to Nightmare on Elm Street, in which a criminal is violently killed after committing some heinous crimes, possibly to local children, and then continues to haunt the town as vengeance. The local nursery rhyme that the kids sing points to all of this, much like the nursery rhyme in the Nightmare on Elm Street films. The execution platform Nix found suggests that 783 is possibly Hinger Wunnebolt, who was executed for child murder and cannibalism, among other things, and the pot she found in the cave did contain children's bones. Somehow I doubt this problem will be solved by a group of spunky dream warriors, but maybe excessive amounts of bullets will do it. It's a shame that Nix's and Tafos's fates are left unknown, but I like to think that they managed to survive, and will join up with the MTF to unleash hell on the crooked man.